Good day and welcome to this week's edition of The Leading Conversation with me, Tom Dawson Scrub, and former Blitzpark captain, Kyle Brown. We're loving our foray into the business world and the huge amount of learning we can gain from that space. So today we take you away from the sports field again to our latest guest, entrepreneur and leader, Robert Paddock. Rob has had a really interesting journey from music-loving traveler to cell phone salesman to being a key leader in the education business Get Smarter, which sold to American education giant to you, to now founding the Valencia Institute, or VI as we often refer to it, which is an online high school based in South Africa, but serving Africa and the world at large. Rob has also his own blog and is someone who's passionate about growth and self-discovery. It is this passion that we start tapping into, and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Rob takes us on his journey across countries, through a deep therapy process, to his view on how to lead in a startup, why it is crazy for us to think we can operate without fear or on our own, as well as, well as what he believes the purpose of his business is. It may surprise you a bit. Rob is a wealth of knowledge and enthusiasm and rounds off our season two just beautifully. We've loved being with you this season as we have looked to diversify our offerings away from just the sports field to give you a broader group of people to listen to. We do hope to be back soon with season three once we've done a little bit of research and got some feedback from you, our listeners, as to how I best improve the product. Enjoy listening to Rob and thank you very much. Great. Well, hello everyone again uh, to another week of The Leading Conversation. Super excited to be here. Kyle Brown in your very warm looking jacket. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, sitting in Stellenbosch and it's about to start bucketing down. So happy to be snug in my jacket in the garage of our roastery. Great, great. And then, and then speaking to, to Rob, who's actually not miles away from where I am at the moment, but uh, in this day and age on Zoom, but Rob Paddock, it is such a privilege to have you, man. Thank you so much for giving your time. How are you today? I'm cool. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today. Very excited to be here. No, it is great to have you. Um, obviously, um, you've walked a journey. Uh, and we're so looking forward to climbing into that journey. Obviously, I, I knew you many, many years ago back in school days, but you've walked an unbelievable journey since then. So, uh, Rob, I'm going to start with a question that we love to ask everyone, which is, we like dive straight into it, which is, what is the one value that you most like being around? Mm, beautiful. Um, I would say growth. And that might not be a word that's commonly used as a, as a kind of value descriptor, but I think the idea of, of, um, of life almost as a journey of discovery and growth and transformation, that there's this opportunity for all of us at all times to use the circumstances that we encounter in our lives to grow, to encounter our shortcomings, our issues, our neuroses, so much more. And to be able to use that as an opportunity for introspection, self-reflection and, and to kind of see what, what, what's possible. Like, I, guess, I guess the thing that I'm really excited about is like, what could we all become? You know, like what, what, what if we actually removed some of these self-imposed limitations and ideas that we have about ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves and like, what could we actually become? Like, what's the outer limits of that if you take it to its ultimate extreme? And that for me is just a super exciting, um, a su- super exciting prospect. It's like, what a, what a great reason to be alive to kind of see what's, what's possible. Um, so yeah, pro- probably growth. I really value seeing it in others. I certainly value it in in my in my own life, and I try to live that in the way that I pro- approach things, and particularly challenges and hard things in life. Um, yeah, growth. I, th- I think is probably the one word I'd use. So, so Rob, what what then would be the number one obstacle, or, or a couple of the the big obstacles that stop people from growing? Mm, uh, 
for me, I'd say I speak speak about my own my own experience, um, and maybe that this translates for some. Um, I would say that it is a a lack of humility, um, and certainly for myself, at the the times in my life where I've not necessarily been able to grow the most is when I've not been able to take a good hard look in the mirror, a good honest look in the mirror, humble look in the mirror. And say, hey, this is actually like there's, there's room for there's room for growth here. Like you've got to be open to the conversation, and that's a conversation with yourself as much as it is with anyone else. But if you lack that humility, you're just not even open to the to the conversation, and you and you're not even getting out the door with with that pro- process of growth. Um, so certainly, humility for me would, would be would 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 be one of the areas, Carl. I love that, Tom. Do you remember when we when we like a couple of years back when you started the the closed door TLC with all the coaches? And it was the, the very first thing Tom led with was you'd stop, you'd start the conversation, hello everybody. First thing I'd like you to do is to leave your ego at the door. And I thought, <laughs> well I said. Thought it was such a fantastic way to, to frame it, to begin the conversation, leave your ego at the door, be ready to be challenged, be ready to grow yeah. and be ready to, I suppose, have your flaws um, exposed and then how we totally. can work on them from there. Totally. Yeah. And, and you know, the, I feel like the conversation around flaws needs to be so so fundamentally kind of uh, shall we say reconceptualized because this idea that any of us don't like even the idea of flaws is like well, well no like who the hell is perfect like I'm sorry I, I, I've never met anyone that's perfect and I heard this great saying from a guy called Peter Crone the other day said please don't become perfect you have no one left to relate to <laughs> I, just, I just love that and it's so true it's like you know like like on on what planet what else are we here for you know this this is part of the the, the opportunity that we all have here is to is to engage with these kind of quote unquote flaws yeah. um, and to use those as opportunities for for transformation and growth and discovery and like I, I honestly the the and I don't pretend to have, to have lived lived all the years that they are but the older I get it's like that that's the thing that seems to strike me as the as the primary reason for existence it's just like you you get to grapple with issues and like that's cool like we we can reframe that it doesn't have to be this this pro, like this labeled thing that's a problem it's like no 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 like like that's right in that in that very floor is the opportunity so like celebrate it like great news that's awesome yeah yeah it's interesting when i i've just spent some time leading a, a, a rugby team and um i think one of the biggest things i had to learn was that you can't control everything and it's not going to be perfect mm-hmm. um and to be able to sort of dance and adapt in that space is is one of the key leadership traits and then to your point there i don't know if you, you might have read a book uh, called the subtle art of not giving a fuck by Mark Manson, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a it's a it's a great book actually. I really enjoyed it, and and and, and he talks a lot about that. Like, you, you you're going to have pain, and everyone's going to have pain, and it's how you are able to navigate and work with your pain uh, that allows you to live a more fulfilled mm-hmm. life. So mm-hmm. so let's go back then, Rob, because I'll, it's not a nice story, but you were an aspirant musician. Um, and you were working in music and then an ear issue, tinnitus, I mm. think it is, came up. Mm. So maybe just talk our listeners through that transition for you. Yeah, Jeepers, so I guess everything I did uh, post-school when you, you and I were, were a bit closer was all around around music. I studied music, I, I was a musician, I moved to London to uh, help work with a company that was doing um, corporate team building with, with African drums. Um, uh, played in a few bands, taught music. Um, really, my, my entire world was was orientated around music. I love music still to this day. Just very passionate about music. Um, 
but one of the things that, that, that happened was that as I, as I got older and I spent more time, and I kind of grew up in a, I was an angry teenager, like in a, like literally in a garage band, like banging on, banging on my drums and stuff. So like <laughs> surrounded by a lot of loud music for a very long period of time. Um, and eventually it took its toll. Like my ears, I've got something called t- tinnitus, which is a perpetual uh, ringing in your ears. Um, and that's as a result of noise damage. Um, so right now, as I'm sitting talking to you, I've got this kind of background noise in my head that just goes the whole time. Um, and it's cool. I, I don't say that asking for any pity or anything. It's like it's completely normalized for me. It's become part of my soundscape. It's really it's really fine. Um, but I remember very clearly having a having a conversation with the audiologist. I was living, living in London at the time um, and he sat me down. He was like, Rob, you can keep playing music, but you'll be deaf in four years time. And so I wouldn't advise it. So I was like, so what you're saying is I can't really play music actually, because going deaf is not a, not an option. Um, so yeah, that certainly led to led to a, a, a period of massive transformation and kind of change for me. Um, I guess one of the one of the biggest things I would reflect on in that time is that probably the hardest change for me was in the change that I had to in the conversation I was having with myself about who I was and my self identity. Um, and it was probably the first time in my life, and this has happened a few times subsequent uh, to that, that I had this real, this quite profound insight around self-identity actually being quite a flawed concept. You know, we've, we've all got these ideas about who we are. Um, you know, this is, these are the clothes I wear. These are the people I hang around with. This is the job that I perform. This is the, this is the culture that I stand for or the values that, that are inherent in me and so on. And it starts to take on this, this, this kind of illusion of solidity in our minds. Um, and it's in our minds as much as it is in the way that we try to portray ourselves to others. Um, so for me at my time, at that stage of life, my entire worldview and self-identity was around that of being a musician. I had these long dreadlocks and I would wear these fuck rad African clothes and it was super cool. And like all my skills were in that, all my networks were in, were in music and so on. Um, and then someone tells you, oh, by the way, you can't keep doing the thing that you've been doing and that you've identified with for your, for your kind of past, past decade, like, like, and, and, and now go, go best of luck. And for me, it was this, this very profound reckoning of goodness. This, this idea of, of self-identity is actually quite, is, is actually quite fragile. Like this thing can, can, can get changed and maneuvered really hard. And the hardest part to deal with is that for me was the psychological part of it was like, who am I? Like what's left if it's not musician Rob and I don't get to wear these clothes anymore and I can't kind of perform these things anymore. I can't use these skills anymore. I've lost my confidence in this thing that I thought that I was and so on. Um, and, after a lot of a lot of exploration and and, and introspection, I mean, as a, I spent six months in India at that time and did a lot of meditating and kind of all sorts of things. But one of the things I realized is like like this idea of of self identity is an illusion, man. Like it's a, it's a problem. Like it's a problem. These stories that we keep telling ourselves about who we are because it limits us so so fundamentally. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, like all of our parents are coming up to the kind of age of retirement now. And one of the things that I see in that generation, particularly amongst men, one of the hardest things is like, who are you when you're not working anymore? When you get to that that, that age of retirement, you know, it's like and, and this idea that we become so self-identified with our work and with our identity at work and so on, that when something situational circumstantially changes, it's like this massive blow. And I think I'm grateful looking back because it gave me a jolt very early in life to kind of get out of that paradigm of like you are ever a fixed sense of identity. And maybe that's the word that I'd, 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 we can probably spend some time kind of uh, orientating around. But fixed sense of identity versus kind of like I'm fluid, like I can change and move and I can I can I can who knows what I could become again. Like, <laughs> um, 
and it was a very it was a very early wake up call to to that reality, and it certainly played out a few times in my life, and in many in some ways, I'm grateful it happened so early on. Tom, I'm busy dealing with a young man who's uh, he's end of his high school career, but he's he's just going through quite a devastating injury. Very different sport, alternative sport, where he puts himself in the line of danger all the time, and it's uh, you know high stakes, high reward, but you know massive risk in what he's doing. And I'd, I'd love to tug at that thread of when something so pivotal to your life, Rob, was was taken away from you. What was the emotional journey you went through there, and how did you deal with that? Yeah, I'd say I mean there's probably a few emotions that that came up for me at the at, at the time, Carl. One was just loss. I mean, you you use the word taken away, and I think that that is what it felt like. It felt like lost. It felt like this thing called life had happened to me, and now this this thing that I had kind of. Uh, built skills around and had some control around had, was being was being taken away from me. Um, so certainly a sense of loss. I think a sense of grief as well. Um, the idea that, that you know the, the old me had to many parts of the old me had to die. This kind of I, this idea that I had of myself literally had to had to fall away because I could not do it anymore. Um, loss, grief, and then some anger. Certainly some anger that 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 went through. And you know these are these are processes of grieving. I would say you could probably fo- follow them all at some some point in my journey. Um, but then then at some point uh, along the road, a, a renewed sense of optimism. You know, a renewed sense of of possibility. Because again, like um, when when the when you get to open the door wide open with fresh eyes, it's like you can you can see new opportunities in the world. And I think this is one of the one of the challenges of having such a firmly fixed sense of identity um, that we hold for ourselves, and importantly that we hold for other people's benefits. And we can we can come back to that if it's if it's if it's worthwhile discussing. Um, but is that you you don't see things clearly. You see thing you see things through the filter of who you think you are. Um, and I think one of one of my objectives in life is to see things is to really work to see things clearly. And I think meditation is an incredible aid to 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 that objective. Um, but yeah, like like the the idea that you can't actually see, but you can only see as much as your as your filter allows um, is 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 one way of phrasing it. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, Rob. I'm, I, so so there's the loss and there's the the, the anger, all those things you went through, and then there's the movement on to new possibility. And I was interested how you then spoke about working in a cell phone store, knew nothing about cell phones, but loved to connect with people and then learned yeah. a bit more about marketing and, and, and this journey that you've gone from musician um, into dealing with people, ultimately into sort of ed tech, you know, into, into get smarter. Yeah. Like, how did yeah. that all work for you? How did, that, how did those totally. opportunities emerge? Yeah, Tom, it was an interesting time. Hey, so on the one hand... Um, I knew I wanted to get to, to India to go just have some total space. Um, and I had a recruiter friend across the road who literally said, Rob, I can get you a job tomorrow working at Vodafone at Paddington Station. I was like, do it. <laughs> like, just, just do it. I don't know anything about phones. I've never, I've never been a salesperson, but do it. Like, I need to, I, 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 like, like, let's do this. Um, and it was interesting because I, and I genuinely, I genuinely like the actually being a salesperson on the floor. I've got so much respect for salespeople, by the way. It's a brutal job. Um, one of the things that does those it creates it 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 in in it kind of fosters a, a incredible resilience as it relates to sales and I'm grateful to that uh, for that to this day because I you know a big part of business is selling. Um, so yeah, I flipping it, 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 I couldn't even call it a store. It was more like a kiosk um, in Paddington Station. Like and you know how cold Paddington is in the middle of winter. Like I literally I think I started that job in October. So it was like into the into the teeth of winter in London. It was brutal. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I've, I've figured out that actually what, we, what I found interesting about sales is that you, it was less about the process of, of knowing your, your, your craft perfectly and be able to describe all the beautiful features of the phone and more just taking interest in that person, asking them a lot of questions and figuring out who they are and knowing just enough about your craft to then be able to match who they are to, to a solution. Um, and thankfully figured that out pretty, pretty early on. And that's a, that's a sales lesson that for me has certainly stood me in, 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 in good stead since then. Um, but yeah, actually, actually made a reasonable success of it. Wouldn't want to continue it, um, but made a reasonable success. Then went to India for six months, came back, uh, was part of a group that started a, a, a organic food delivery service online at the time. Um, I had very entre- entrepreneurial kind of a- ambitions and this desire to do something that was interesting and a bit fr- uh, kind of a bit fringe and edge. I'd kind of seen that organic food was doing really well in London at the time and thought that, that would be something interesting. So tried that. Um, the business actually still continues to this day, but is a is a horrible business. I won't uh, sorry when I say horrible, it's just a very difficult business in terms of margin and so on. Um, so so I won't I won't mention that specifically, but was involved in in, in that business and eventually left after about a year. Um, then took off six months and went to uh, went to Australia. Literally had a jaw, drove around the country with my friend, worked at a couple places, had such fun. Um, and the idea there was just literally just just kind of hang out. Um, Came back, got got involved in starting a organic compost business um, uh, that failed miserably after six months. It was a total catastrophe. Turns out that like you really need proper infrastructure if you want to if you want to build uh, if you want to be able to get the supply chains right around getting compost to the right people at the right times. I mean, just like so much naivety and so many failures for a hundred reasons. Um, and then yeah, my, I remember my, my my brother and my father gave me a call. And they were like, "We've got this, we've got." Uh, my brother joined uh, my father's business at that time and said, "Listen, we've uh, it's this property business. We're doing a couple of things. One of which is software development. Doing some property development. We're doing some legal consulting. We're going to do some education. Like, just come get involved. Like, not sure exactly where, how you get involved, but just get involved." I was like, "Yeah, sure." Like. I don't, like I literally have just, like had this lasting fail like like I don't have anything better to do so let, let's do this, um, and got that got an amazing break like got an amazing opportunity. Um, Sam had done my brother had done his thesis in um, uh, in at honors level at, at UCT on starting a, a, a online university, um, and that turned out to be the portion of the business that we worked with with my dad that ended up growing the fastest that then ultimately became get smarter that then kind of led to led to our, our deep involvement in, in online education so yeah that that's i guess a, a very quick summary of the of the sequence of events tom oh, so cool so cool and then and then um at, at risk of fast forwarding too quickly because there's so much you want to know about organic compost and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, <laughs> Please don't. Uh, yeah. But 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 um, you 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 sort of went into the space and then Get Smarter grew quite quickly. So you've gone from ah yeah I'll get involved in this business to shit I'm actually having to lead quite a lot of people. How did that transition go for you? And did you have to become more intentional about certain things because of that rather rapid rise. Mm. Um, so I guess how, answering the first question, how how was that? It's brutal. Hey, startups are hard. Like for anyone who has any false illusions about what startups are like, guys, like just just want to say this loud and clear: startups are really really hard. Um, a huge amount of ambiguity. Uh, the, the kind of journey to finding your product market fit is is just like a perpetual brutal process that that, that that continues in the early years um, uh, lot, lots of lots of changing dynamics lots of role changes i mean it's just it's just, it's just a hard, hard process um, and leading that for the first time uh, together with excuse me together with sam um, 
both of us were kind of in the seat for the first time, you know, so a lot of the time you're thinking to yourself, I must be doing something wrong because this is so hard. Like, it doesn't make sense that, that we should be working this hard, that people should be so stressed, that there should be the lack of, of certainty and so on. Um, and and the, at least the leadership response for me at the time was, well, this must be because I'm doing something wrong. Like, I, it's my job to kind of further systematize or to provide better, better clarity, to not grow as fast. Um, I, remember, I remember we kept on having these conversations. We're going to have a consolidation year. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're not going to put on any new course. We're just going to get our systems right. We're going to make sure that all of us staff are well trained that we've got the backlog sorted like now of course that 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 never happened um but but at the time it was just the sense of honestly of just like pretty much constant failure just like holy smokes i like i'm not doing this right and i'm not serving my staff correctly um thankfully over time managed to get some really great advisors and learned from a lot of people around me to realize eventually no that's not the case like startups are hard they're hard for everyone they're hard for the most seasoned entrepreneurs and the most senior executives the the, the process of birthing a business is is not dissimilar to birthing a human like it's hard <laughs> it yeah. takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage and a lot of endurance and eventually you have a beautiful, a, a beautiful child that's birthed into the world. But it is, it is foundationally tough. Um, and so thankfully managed to get some great advisors around us over time, Tom. And maybe to your, to your second question, the kind of things that, that I had to learn internally was probably more that process of asking for help. And just like we eventually started reaching out to advisors and started getting that kind of mentorship and so on, you eventually realize, oh, this is lonely, but it doesn't have to be that lonely. Like it's not, and I don't, I don't the, the, the mark of success is not the fact that I've managed to do this all myself. Like we've got this bizarre thing in Western culture where this, where this idea that like, You've really succeeded when you've done it by yourself against the odds, um, without support and, and so on. It's like, where the hell did that come from? Like we're community, we're tribal creatures and really like, like to, to not, to not engage and to not benefit from the support of those around you and those who have walked the path before you and our, our kind of uh, either literal or metaphoric elders is like, it's, it's nuts. It's crazy. Um, so certainly that was one of the, one of the early, early lessons, Thomas, just, just reaching out, being humble enough to ask for help and, and, and receiving that. Mm. Rob, well, it's, it's an interesting one because, um, I, I often joke about this. So I did, I did a, my, when I did my training as a systemic team coach, uh, what, you know, we talk about having, they call it QFs, which is quality failures, right? And you'd make a failure and then the instructor who I respect and think is incredible, but it was the one area that used to piss me off. You'd have to go, yes, I made a quality failure. And I was like, I don't like making failures. I don't want to make failures. <laughs> failures are shit. You know, and like we, we actually discussed this before. We, we, we know Enneagram and I'm an Enneagram 3. So failure is like a terrible thing for me. And um, I've, always, I've always battled with, with failure and celebration of them. But theoretically understand that they are necessary. So you talk about you've had so many failures. And it's like an amazing story because you, you've had failures and then it gets smarter. You had lots of failures, but you, you went through. So, so... If you were to give advice to yourself five, six years ago, and therefore other people who might be going through failures, like when you're in the moment, when you're in the pain of failure, what is it that you would say is useful for people to mm. be able to navigate those tough times? Mm. I, and I know this might come across as trite, but, but your failure is, is the most important process that you're going through. So... Um, uh, maybe another way of phrasing this, I've, I've, I've come to firmly believe that learning is in fact the primary currency of business and money, money is, is a secondary currency that follows the, the primary currency, which is learning. 
Um, and and inherent, and I'm, I'm an educator, like, like failure is inherent in learning. You don't learn unless you are failing. Like that, that, is, ju- that is just a fact. Um, and so to be able to start to, to reframe this, I know, and I, I hear you when, when your coach says things like, oh, no, this is like a celebrated failure. So you're just like, oh. <laughs> but, but really, it's a mindset shift that has to happen in all of us that this, this is the gift, like right here in this failure, in the struggle, in this challenge. This is the thing. This is where the value comes from. It's in my persistence and it's, and it's in my grit to continue to deal with this, this kind of quote unquote failure that is ultimately going to result in the downstream opportunities, which is in our case, the impact on students and the, and the financial gain and so on, so on and so on. Um, but, but it, it, it's so hard not to feel like failure is because you've done something wrong as opposed to because this is actually the, the purpose of the process, like is to, is to grapple. So can I, I like just that. ask, I like uh, similarly linked to that, um, when you're going through these times of failure and the dark times and you're constantly thinking like, I, I love that, um, the thought of this is so hard, I must be doing something wrong, you know, um, what were your guiding lights? What, what were you taking from it at the time? What was the, what was giving you energy and forcing you or, or I suppose enabling you to continue? Because that for me, I, I, having read a number of books on start, startups and entrepreneurship, it's the resilience and it's that that will and that drive to continue over that hump, you know? Mm. And it's just always interesting to find out what was pushing you the whole time to continue. I mean, you say you go through failure and hardships and tough times. My God, why don't you just give up at that point? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I'd say that the, the answer to that question has changed over the years. So if I think back kind of 2007 when we, and, and like that period, particularly when we were failing hard and often kind of 2007 to 2010, 11, um, the answer probably to that question would be fear. Um, what kept me going was just like I can't, I can't let this fail. Like I will, I will personally be a failure if this thing, if this thing fails. And this idea of like this terror of jeepers. I mean, I've already had a few businesses fail. I've had to change my my career. Like this, just this this terror around letting it around letting it fail is my honest answer to probably what was driving the the resilience there. And maybe resilience is the wrong word. The persistence. Um, in, in, in that case, um, probably a nice dose of cortisol and adrenaline in the, in the veins of just like, I cannot screw this up. Like we cannot, there's too much invested in this. There's too much opportunity here. Like it's ours to, it's ours to ruin. Um, I'll never recover. I'll emotionally never recover. So yeah, probably all of those things. Um, I think thankfully as I've, as I've grown as a, as a, as a human, um, I would say that the that the the thing that that's driving me now is very much around growth. You know, I, I really see these opportunities. It, it, I believe that business is the most incredible vehicle for for personal exploration and growth. Um, you think about the, what what businesses do, particularly startups. It's like the supercharged environment of messy people interactions, of business pressures, of financial pressures, of economic changes and competition and so on, and all the while trying to figure out who your customer is and how to best serve them and so on. It's like it's the perfect vehicle. If you've got any issues left in you, it's like it's the perfect vehicle to elicit and surface those. So the, the thing that drives me now for and, and the reason for really for start, starting another business, at least at least on the personal development front, is like, God, what a wonderful what a wonderful process to, to continue to be able to explore. Um, and when I feel that 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 when I, we're experiencing these failures, as we have certainly at, at Valencia as well, um, the, the the mindset shift has been this is such a rad opportunity to to continue to explore 
you know, like, hey, like there's more left in me that needs to be there's more kind of Kindle that needs to be burnt here. Um, and and that that's been a really cool process, um, and I, I just can't can't encourage people enough that, that the mindset shift of using business as a vehicle for growth is just is fundamentally transformational. Mm. Tom, I, I want to I want to yeah. send a question your way now because now I'm starting to link this back to my development through rugby, and where Rob was talking about his initial starting thing is the starting driving force was fear, you know. And uh, my first couple of years in rugby, and actually the majority of it was, I was shit scared of failing. Fear was a massive motivator for me. Um, And generally what we're trying to do when we get older is we look back and you say, well, you know, we shouldn't be using fear as a motivator. It's not sustainable and everything. But the fact of the matter is it works. It gets things done. You know, and I understand that as you grow, you start detaching yourself from, you know, your personal identity and your work identity. But Rob, the fact of the matter is the first couple of years, you were intrinsically linked to that business. I was intrinsically linked to being a rugby player. If I did fail at rugby, I failed as a human, which was a massive motivator for me. Now, now, Tom, why are we looking at young people going and we're trying to teach them or, or at least explore leadership and saying to them, you know, we shouldn't have intrinsic link between what we're doing and who we are. Can you yeah, explain to me why we shouldn't be linking those two? I suppose especially for the first half. Look, look, I can concur. Like for me, I wouldn't in my career be anywhere without fear, because I just know how many things I've done and worked the graft I've put in because I didn't want to look stupid. I don't want to look stupid. Let me not put this in the past tense. Let me look this in the present tense, you know. Um, so, so, And then I remember doing some work with neuroscience. And they spoke about how fear is three times a stronger motivator than joy. That is just the case. So you, you put a pool around, you put a fence around your swimming pool because you fear your kid's going in. Like, is that negative? No, it's wise. You know, you put, you, you, you put security bars in your, in your house and alarms because you're scared of getting broken into. Like, is that, is that bad? No, it's wise. So I, I think, you know, Nelson Mandela said, um, courage is not the, what did he say? He said, courage is not the absence of fear. Um, it's the, it's, it's, I can't remember the exact thing, but it's like not the absence of fear, but it's managing fear. And, and I, I think what we must understand, Kyle, is, is, is we must understand where fear comes from and how it manifests and what might be some alternatives to it. But it's not trying to get rid of fear. I think fear is going to walk with you and you take it with you and you give it a name and you, and you, and you categorize it and you realize what it's doing to you, when it's doing to you. And all you can do is have that self-awareness, that level of, the, of self-awareness, which I think allows you to manage your fear rather than trying to get rid of it. Because I, I talk to a lot of people and I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, Tom, all I want to do is be less nervous when I'm giving this talk or whether I'm, when I'm trying to score runs, if I'm a cricketer or something. I'm like, well, let me tell you, I can't take your nerves away. The fear is just a sign that you care. Okay, but let's understand where that comes from and why and what's harmful and what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. I'd love to build on that, Tom, because I just think that's such wise counsel. Um, I feel like fear is the most incredible compass. It, it points towards the areas in us that are, that are opportunities for further self-realization, for further self-transcendence and so on. And it's almost like an invitation. It's like, oh, hey, like, have, have a look at this, this, this part of self. And so maybe I can reframe my, my answer a little bit more differently. Whilst, whilst now I still, I certainly would say that it's the growth and so on that stimulates me, fear often still points me in that direction. 
Um, but it's I now have an excitement towards going down the path and exploring those aspects that have elicited fear in me, um, because the, it's it's never about the thing itself. It generally is about some sort of sense of self uh, lack of self worth or something along the, those lines, or or not being not being accepted and, and and so on and so on. All of those are wonderful paths to go down on as kind of parts of personal exploration. Mm. Mm. I like that idea around the compass. I think it's a great thing. And I think, Carl, uh, uh, in fact, uh, Rob, you wrote about it in your, in your quite excellent uh, blog, which, which I do want to touch on, um, around the Instagram generation and wanting to put things on Instagram that look good. And I think even the idea of fear and nervousness and anxiety is not Instagrammable. Uh, mm. But it's real. It's what's there, you know. And I think it's important that we that we probably call with your example of your young sportsman that we reframe fear as this bad horrible thing and and a, a, as as Rob sort of alluded to a necessary a necessary ill you know um i suppose it's part of the tax of of reaching these wonderful goals and those <laughs> instagrammable moments for want of a better word you know yeah and and Tom I'm sorry sorry to to kind of um disagree with you a bit but I would not even use language like necessary ill um, I really think that fear, fear is an invitation. It, 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 is a, it is part of the range of human emotions that we can, if we reframe it correctly, can actually celebrate. I'm like, great, you, you're fearful, like, excellent. Well, well done, like, well done for recognizing that, for honoring the feeling that's coming up in you, and now let's use that as a, as a path for exploration. Not with shame, not with, not with any need to kind of put it in the, in, the, in, the, in the shame closet, like, actually, we can bring these things into the light. And, mm. uh, and I think that's one, one of the issues is that as soon as we feel um, emotions that, that we feel any sorts of shame around, they immediately go into this kind of dark, quiet corner in our, in our psyches, and that's where shit happens. Like, that's mm. where I can speak from personal experience. Like, if there's going to be things that, 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 go, that, that go awry in your lives, it's because they've been put in the shame, shame closet. Let's bring that stuff into the light, and let's celebrate that, and let's use that as an opportunity for exploration. Mm. Oh, that's a great that's a great great catch great catch thank you so 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 rob you know one of, uh, there's a fantastic book called grit by um, angela duckworth and 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 she talks a lot about you know grit which is basically like long-term resilience and once you find something that you're deeply purposeful about it makes it easier to display grit so you've gone from get smarter done exceptionally well moved into a leadership position sold the business done really well and then you've got this time where you can relax and chill. Um, but you find that that part of your life um, is not that satisfying for you. And you then find another purpose uh, in the education space, but quite differently. And interestingly, on your own, without your brother and your family, like it's now Rob and Rob moving into that space. M maybe just enlighten us a little bit around the purpose behind VR Valencia Institute um, and what drew you towards that on mm. a, I know it's not a completely solo mission, but moving away from the, the family, mm. the, the paddock sort of plan. No, totally, Tom. Um, so I think yeah, certainly after Get Smarter, it's a kind of, a kind of crazy and once-in-a-lifetime uh, event that takes place where, uh, and to speak, speak with, with as much humility, um, you, know, you, 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 make, you make a stack of money and you can think very differently about your life and you're 35 years old. Um, so we, we sold in September 2017. I finished up in uh, March of 2018. And to be honest, I was pretty burnt out at the time. Um, I had been working my ass off. We had we'd forged these amazing international partnerships, but the, the price to pay for that was that I was living on a plane for like four years um, 
kind of leading up to that point. And I mean, literally, I was away for two to three weeks of every month um, between between London and, and the States, um, which is just a brutal travel schedule, not seeing my family as much. I mean, just like not taking care of my health, just like, you know, all, all, all the things. Um, so really, the first order of priority was just like just recuperate, just spend time with family, just relax and so on, which was which was really, really incredible. I mean, like gentle walks up the mountain every morning and so on. Um, what was amazing, though, is how quickly you do recuperate. Uh, and certainly that I found it's like cheapest. I didn't actually need to take months and months off. It was kind of like a month <laughs> or two hours freaking rearing to go. You know, it's like, yes, I <laughs> got my energy back. I've been sleeping. It's like, yes, a human, the human body is just unbelievable. Um, so and, and spending lots of t- like wholesome time with family and lots of time with my wife, Ash, and, and dogs and gods. Lovely. Absolutely amazing. Um, and then then started getting like, OK, so I've got energy and I've got nothing. I don't even have a diary. Um, I, like what like what's what am I going to do today? Um, and so uh, like I guess there was a few things going on, but I, but I, uh, sorry, one of the things I was doing at the same time is also I went into deep therapy. Like I was doing uh, therapy twice a week. I just I was like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm just going to go deep. I've got time. I've got space. I can really just kind of immerse myself in this. Um, so found the most incredible psychotherapist and literally was going going twice a week for these hour sessions and just deep like every every part of me that that I, that I wanted to explore was there. Um, so that was a very very interesting experience. But you know that's also kind of two hours a week with some homework in between and so on. It's like there's still a lot of hours left in the day. So then I started exercising a bit again and I I did enjoy exercise. I'd done an Ironman just before we sold the business, which was ridiculous timing to do that all at the same time. Um, and probably one of the reasons I was pretty burnt out, but then was like, okay, well, I actually want to start doing some sport again. So started doing some uh, some more running and some more, and then started doing some more triathlon stuff and then started doing a bunch of Ironmans and then managed to get some decent times and managed to qualify for some interesting races and kind of carried on doing that, carried on doing that. And that was pretty much consuming my days. Um, and really that sort of training can consume all day, every day. And I think for me personally, and this is not, not an, uh, this is not an indication for anyone else, but I think one of the challenges with, with that sport for me at the time was like, eventually I started getting the sense of hollowness of just like, but like no one else but me is benefiting from this. You know, it's not even like I'm part of a team here. Um, and it's not even like I'm competing and, and like providing for my family because of this. I'm just, I'm just like throwing myself into this and coming, I don't know, a hundredth in a race you know, like for, for whatever that's worth. Um, and this, this kind of sense of hollowness started to started to form, and it was actually my therapist that said to me, "She's like, you really like, like you've you've got you've got challenge in your life again, but no one else is benefiting, so like, no wonder, you know." <laughs> um, and so for me, I'd always thought that at some stage I would start start another business again. Um, I just didn't didn't kind of know exactly when. And for me, being involved in education, it's such a privilege. Like, it's such a privilege to be able to build businesses that have such an overtly positive impact on people's lives. Um, to build partnerships, to make them them accessible through online modality, afford, affordable, and so on. Um, so had seen this opportunity to do uh, in the online school space, where at least at a high school level, by my assessment at the time, and this was 2019, there weren't a lot of quality providers in the space. Um, and so started building building quite hard towards this. Um, may, maybe to to answer your your question, Tom, I think probably quite a multifaceted question in terms of kind of go, going it alone as it were i think sam sam and i particularly we walked an unbelievable journey and i'm so grateful i mean jeepers i learned so much from that guy um and we had just just incredible decade plus of working together i also think it kind of came to its natural natural close um where i think one of the challenges of having two two strong leaders is that a business needs a leader 
um, and a, a leader, one of, I think one of the opportunities of, of leadership and certainly one of the things that I felt that I lost when we sold Get Smarter was that opportunity for creative expression through your business. Um, and I think that for Sam and I, we'd always slightly had to had to water down or compromise our own expression because of kind of trying to uh, make sure that it worked for the other person too. Um, so I guess I guess that that's probably what uh, that's pr- that's probably the main main reason why it was just like like it came to a natural close. It was a wonderful journey, and we both got a lot of enthusiasm and opportunity. We still we literally I mean we chat every few days with tight tight as can be. Um, but we we run our own businesses now, and it's 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 a lovely kind of it's a lovely new season for us as as brothers, I would say. Um, I guess the other reason is just that it's so cool as as kind of here that that stage already moved into the phase of having kids. Um, my wife and I were trying for kids at the time. It was like it's also quite a cool new season in terms of like we connect in that family way in such a new dynamic that means that when we are hanging together as family, we don't have like work conversations crossing over everything that, that that's going on and trying to have like rigorous debates about about whether we're going to launch a new campaign in India or not. You know, it's just like it, it is nice to have fat, wholesome family time, like totally being wholesome family time. Um, so those would probably be the, the, the main reasons. Um, but then you yeah, just, 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 just got super excited about this concept of online schooling, um, launched in September, 2019, recruited our first cohort for January of 2020. And then of course, kind of COVID hit in March, 20, uh, 2020 and the whole blooming world turned upside down. Um, so, so thankfully in, in a, in the right place at the right time there. Tom, I'd love to make a, it's less of a question and more just an observation, Rob, um, your new adventure into Valencia, uh, you've obviously, I mean, from our conversation, you've placed a lot of emphasis on community. You spoke a little bit about being tribal, you know, tribal animals. And um, the personal growth side of things can be so rewarding when you see your community growing around you. Mm. I mean, is that what, would you say that's one of the major, you know, driving forces for you is just to see how your community grows around you? No question. Absolutely no question. I think it's, it's, it's the growth that I see in myself. It's the growth that I see in my colleagues. It's the growth that we see in our learners. I mean, we've got this amazing, amazing business being in education, where it's where literally every corner of the of the of the business engagement has the opportunity for growth, yeah. um, and and learning. And it's just what what a privilege. Um, so certainly that's been that's been for me the most satisfying thing, and and the the reason that I'm that I'm working my butt off and and so on because I just like this this is I believe this is what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always said to Tom, whenever we finish up these conversations, and this is more, like we've we've said before, this is quite a personal, maybe even a selfish thing that we have some of these conversations. But I feel so energized because you get the opportunity to grow, you learn with the, the kind of conversations you don't usually have uh, on a day to day basis. So mm-hmm. it's an absolute pleasure to see what you're doing uh, with Valencia. It's amazing, amazing new adventure, Thank you. and uh, yeah, it's awesome. Rob. Uh, if Valencia is to, and of course, it's it, it, there is never an end point. The journey is the end point. Uh, but if Valencia is to fully realize its to its fullest existence, like what do you see happening? What do you what do you, what do you see emerging, and what do you see its impact on the world being? Mm, I mean, I guess first of all, just in terms of sheer quantum, I believe that right now more than ever, we need affordable, scalable, um, quality education providers to come into the ecosystem. Um, and we've got some announcements coming up literally in the next month that I'm super excited about that I won't be able to speak about right now, but that we are really applying uh, the vast majority of our energy towards towards make, making that a reality. Um, so in terms of external impact, that's certainly it. Like quality, affordable education, particularly for the African continent, goodness, we need it. We've got a youth bulge that if we do not realize its potential, 
it's a it's a scary thought. And yet on the on the on the flip side, if we do realise its potential, I think it could be the dawn of a completely new age for the for the continent. Um, so that gets me absolutely pumped. And what a challenge and what what an opportunity. So let's do it. You know, like like or or, or do our best trying. Um, I think that maybe coming back to the the, the question Carl answered then, the, or excuse me, asked asked. Um, the, the the ultimate the ultimate purpose for being I would say is is to provide all stakeholders with the with the opportunity for this for this self discovery be it our learners be it our partners be it our uh, st- staff members and so on I just think it's the, mo- the this this idea of business as a vehicle for personal exploration and self discovery just I, I believe that's that's our ultimate ultimate reason for being and if we can if we can provide that that service to to all stakeholders I'll, I will I will be very very happy. Can I ask like a really literal question for the mm. purposes of people listening? Can you give us an example of one or two things that Valencia Institute does that allows their stakeholders, specifically let's say employees, to grow and to mm. develop the self-awareness? Mm. So, so first of all, I think that, that team members and any teams need to see that their leader is willing to, is, is willing to walk, walk the talk. Um, so for me, one of the things that I do every Monday is that I write a mail to the team on this theme. It's actually our first company. And sorry, maybe I should preface that by saying our first company value is work as a pilgrimage of self-discovery. Um, and that I try to live that value. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the importance of values. I think I'm probably just repeating the obvious with that. Um, but I try to live that value in, in many ways, one of which is by by every Monday writing very raw, very real, real thoughtful messages around how I've been, how I've been learning over the last week. How I've, how work for me and this intersection between work and personal and everything else has resulted in um, finding my neuroses and eliciting insights and so on, and trying to, trying to use that as a kind of platform to show that it's okay. Like it's okay to be human. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to, to be in this process of discovery, and it's actually pretty damn exciting. Like that, that is that's the reason for being. Um, so that's a very practical thing thing that we do. We do we do a bunch of other stuff, but that's that's one super practical thing. Oh, cool. Thanks. No, because I yeah I think it's important for people as well when they take a, they, they sort of walk away from here and they're like, okay, what's the? You know, I always talk about dominoes, Rob. So I'm like, you can't control everything, but if you think of a line of dominoes and you push the one domino over and the rest fall, like if you can understand what your first dominoes are, you know, maybe it's. Uh, uh, as an example, a, a team checking in every morning for 10 minutes. You know, I, th- I know you guys, I think you guys have DSUs or used mm-hmm. to get someone have mm-hmm. DSUs, daily stand-ups, and just those small little things that people do which allows for connection uh, and intention. Um, and I think understanding those things is super important. Okay. And, and, and I, I love that you find value so important because, you know, that's, is, that, that, that cannot be... Yeah. That cannot be overrated and well, it yeah. cannot be rated enough. Um, and may, may, maybe one quick point on that, Tom. I think I feel like... Um, like you, I mean, you can put coaches throughout your your organisation, and you can have one-on-one coaching and so on. I, I would argue strongly that you're going to amplify any coaching work that you're doing if your team is seeing their leadership openly and vulnerably going through that process themselves, and see that it's okay. Like it, it, it is, it is inherently granting permission for everyone else to grapple with their shit 
and to and to open it up and to and to work through it if they see their leaders doing the same thing. And I think that particularly in this in this kind of COVID uh, distributed workforce age, one of the things that I found helpful for that is just this mon Monday notes that, that that goes into that. And again, the, this there needs to be a kind of multifaceted approach here. But but I think even those two things alone are, is is a powerful combination. Mm. Uh, Rob, I know we've got very little time left uh, with you, so Carl will ask one, and I'll ask one. <laughs> I, I'll quickly jump in because I think it might be a thread. And then Carl, come, please come in. Um, Rob, you, you, you're now leading this business and it's unbelievably purposeful and so good. And you've spoken a lot about the, the, the self-discovery and you living it. And, and your blog is a, is a great, you know, you're so open and vulnerable openly, which I think is powerful in itself. Has there been, in the startup, which requires like courage and adaptability and resilience, has there once, has there been a well that Rob Paddock has had to dive into from his own leadership in his own leadership journey and say like I need to be a little bit more of X or yeah. I need to be a little bit more of Y is there anything you've had to display now on your own in this VI space yeah totally I mean particularly in this journey I'd say one of the things that I've that I've had to tap into is that I need to be harder sometimes so I think that one of the things in, in kind of contrast to the the kind of um approach to get smarter i kind of brought in a very kind of accommodating let's all do this it's going to be amazing and like everyone's got their process and needs to go through it and so on sometimes you need to call bullshit like sometimes you need to make, draw a hard line and i think that for me has been one of the interesting things is that it's never either or it like all of these things are a dance all of these activities and emotions exist on a spectrum and it's always the dance in between you err too too far on the side of any one side you're going to have a problem and I think that for me, not being not being hard enough, and I guess you could plot kind of kind of hard boundaries and very accommodating on one continuum. And I'd say that that particularly in the early stage of this business, I was just too accommodating with everything. And you do need to draw some hard boundaries sometimes. And again, the real magic is in the space just just in between this kind of da dance in the middle. Um, so that certainly has been a well I've had to draw on in this in this journey so far. Uh, Rob, with VI being online and your passion for community. How are you merging those two? Mm, it's really tough, hey, Kyle. Like the, uh, that, that would be an, a, a short answer. Um, we had started this business with the intention of it being remote first but not remote only. So we had an office space, but all the work was set up so that people could work remotely, but that the intention was at least once a week people would come in so that at least we have a company gathering in person once a week. And then at manager's discretion, they can schedule a bunch of in-person meetings and there might be certain teams like sales and admissions that actually are in person. Um, and that worked extremely well. Then the pandemic hit and it's like, no, 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 now we're fully remote. It's flippin' tough. Um, so we do all, all the regular things that you can. You know, we have a virtual company gathering. We do our daily stand-ups. We've got our weekly meetings that managers have with their direct line, line reports and team meetings and so on. It's... Uh, it's so hard to get that same sense of, of community, that, that same sense of just like intuitive, natural conversations that happen around where people go grab a beer afterwards and do, do whatever. Um, so I guess the short answer is that, it, is that it's tough. I don't think there's any easy solutions here right now. The thing that's important is that everyone, everyone leans in and that you listen to your team very, very closely. So we do listen to our team and we do try to take their feedback and implement as much as we can from the team. Honestly, I think that's the best advice that I can get, give right now. It's just like, listen to your team and show them that you're, show them that you're trying because you're not, you're not going to replicate the same as in person or in, in completely distributed on, online. I mean, I haven't personally met 70 of our team members yet, like in person. And this is hard, you know, um, but, but we, are, we are where we are and it's probably going to be this way for, for a while longer. 
Rob, it's been an unbelievable journey chatting to you. Um, I want to I wanna finish with a, with, with a last question, uh, which is, what is the best question that you have been asked or ask to people <laughs> in your journey of growth and self-awareness? So it's been such a theme of this conversation, and I'm such a believer in questions and the power of questions. So I wondered, what is the best question you've either been asked or ask yeah. in the journey of self-awareness? So one of the best questions I've been asked, and I really love this question, is what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you? And I guess for me, in some ways, it, 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 um, it, it, it you know, so many themes that we could explore that relate to that question. But for me, one of the one of the clearest aspects is like we are humans, we live in community, and we we almost this this idea that we are individuals is wrong. Like we're we're not individuals. We're actually I read this really cool thing. We're actually do you know that as individuals, we're sixty percent non-human cells. As as this little bot, this kind of meat sack is sixty percent non-human cells, which is wild. So like this idea we have of like I'm an individual is just is just I think needs to be kind of blown open. Like you're you're not none of us are. Um, so this idea that we live in community and that we have the opportunity to kind of co-create this thing called life is is super interesting for me. And the idea that there that there is kindness and that there is humility and that there is generosity in this world, at least amongst many other emotions, it's just it's just so inspiring and encouraging. So, what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you? Is a question I absolutely love. Rob, I love it. I love it too. Um, yeah, you're an absolute champion and star, and I know having such an impact in the country and the world. Um, so, thank you very much for giving us the hour of your time. It was inspiring, and uh, yeah, we look forward to everyone listening to this and 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 chatting again soon so thanks Rob. appreciate it tom kyle thanks so much thank you very really appreciate your time cool what a pleasure guys that was fun sure kyle i feel like um i feel like i've dug into myself yourself rob paddock i feel like we've got such a an insight into his world and his thinking uh what was your takeaway i always get blown away when you you speak to people and they have such immensely bold goals you know and he wants to he wants to educate and help all of africa reach their potential through education which is mind-blowing it's absolutely mind-blowing an incredible uh, objective and cheapers I, I, I i'm really excited to see the journey of, of valencia institute Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. A, a, a fantastic, the purposeful business. Um, I love the fact. I love some of his, uh, some of the, the journey that he's walked. Um, I suppose you know he's been privileged to be able to be in those different spaces and expose himself to those. But like a serious work ethic as well, and willingness to go into the tough spaces. And I think probably a bit yeah a nice takeaway for me personally and a nice takeaway for a lot of people is you know we have to go into those tough spaces to to see the joyous spaces as well so i thought yeah i think that was a big thing for me also tom that we don't have to go in together like he keep he spoke so much about community and that this whole individualism thing is i suppose it's an expression of who you are but it doesn't mean that you have to do things alone Mm. Yeah, I think you mean we we do have to go in together rather yeah, than sorry. just on our own. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah, have, yeah. have to go into you know to do things alone and and the, you know the the badge that we place on oh, I got it all done by myself is is I don't know I don't know if it, for me Ridiculous. it's not it's not as uh, enjoyable as doing something together. I agree, I agree. No, thanks, Carl. Once again, a wonderful uh, conversation, and um, yeah, on to the next one. Thanks, bud. Ciao, bye.